is upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Thank you so much for joining us today. This November, Liberians elected a new leader to succeed the incumbent President George Weir. Anli said that the president-elect Joseph Wakai was able to win the tight race with the help of billions of young Liberians. A lot of young people who have graduated from universities but still no job are looking forward to the economy being open so that they are able to find jobs. Um, we have to match education and youth empowerment in a way that we speak to the core of the issues. Laraman Nyonto is a Liberian youth activist who worked on the campaign of incoming President Joseph Wakai. He joins me to talk about some of the priority areas for the incoming administration, especially where it relates to the youth of the country. And starting a new business in Africa can be quite challenging. It requires a lot of resilience, creativity, and a strong belief in your own ideas. I mean, my fam, my mom thought I was crazy. Yeah. My sister was, are you sure you want to do this? You know, it's, 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 it's always that, that story where you, you always feel like if you don't do it, you might regret it in the long run. That is Henry Nyakarundi, an acclaimed tech entrepreneur based in Rwanda. He talks to me about his decision to move back to Africa from the U.S. and some of the lessons on entrepreneurship that he learned along the way. But first, let's hear from you, our listeners. A World Bank report says that out of the six developing world regions, Sub-Saharan Africa has the highest rates of educational marginalization. It estimates that almost 60% of young people between the ages of 15 and 17 are not enrolled in school. We asked you to tell us about some of the barriers to education, especially for those in low-income households. Here is what you said. Uh, when you look at uh, the cost that we get this education at, um, it is very alarming. For example, me as a student, uh, the amount of money we pay is always very high and the parents are always um, complaining about the you know the tuition because it's too expensive and high for them and you know it's not good for me because first of all uh, the books we need at, at university are very expensive themselves we get these uh, we, we have to buy them uh, by our own selves and um, this means that on top of the tuition which you pay which is very high we are buying textbooks now this is a very burden on my parent education is expensive because as of now people um, paying a lot of money. For example, in some of the secondary schools, they are saying that this coming January, the fees will raise and will come in 12,000. So the people, they cannot afford to pay such kind of money. For instance, last year, um, examination fee, we were paying 2,700, but now it has been raised to 6,000, which is just showing that education is now expensive. Very soon, all the problems of your nation. We want a revolution. Young people, revolution. Intelligent revolution. Must be African education. Many thanks to all of you for sending in your opinions to the show. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. This November, Liberians went to the polls and held what was described as a remarkably close and well-administered runoff election. Former Vice President Joseph Buakai won the tight race over incumbent President George Weir. 
And Anli said that he was able to win because of the support from millions of young Liberians who will be looking to his administration to come up with policies that address some of the issues in the country, including high youth unemployment, education, and many others. Laraman Nyonto is a Liberian youth activist who worked on Joseph Bwakai's campaign. He tells me that with the right leadership, Liberia's youth population represents a valuable resource that can contribute to the country's development and growth. So, Laraman, good to see you, man. Jackson. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's been, I think the last time you were here was like four years ago. Yeah, yeah. How time flies. 2018. I 2018. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It it's, 2018, it's been a while. We and, had just taken office. Yes. And you wanted me to talk about the prospects. Right, right. And you actually have a connection to the incoming uh, administration. Let me ask you how he was able, President Bwakai was able to pull off this victory as a person who was really plugged into the campaign. I think he was able to build a team. Um, he brought together coalition forces. So people were willing to come together to solve the problem. For most voters, it was about correcting the mistakes of 2017 um, when they voted Josh, we are over Barker. So, yeah, technically he was able to bring the country back together. So this was actually a rerun? Yes, it was a re rematch. Yeah, yeah rematch. <laughs> yes, a rematch, correct. Yeah. <laughs> President George Weir just had his uh, six-year mandate. Um, what is his legacy going to be, aside from the fact that he's probably one of the few African presidents who considered, graciously considered to his uh, opponent, even before the Electoral Commission had fully really announced the results. I think Weir has the chance to ride on the back of that concession as the greatest source of his legacy. Um, when you look back, um, when he came to office, there were a lot of urgency, national urgency, that needed to be resolved. Um, the issue of the economy, he ran on the back of fighting corruption and establishing the war on economic crimes court, which he did not do. He ran on the back of young people who overwhelmingly supported him, which is the 1% of the vote in, 20, in, his, in the runoff of 2017. And he filled the interests, the hopes, and aspirations of those young people. So the only, um, the only success or the only bright spot for Weir um, in his votes presidency is his early concession. What are some of the things that he did during his presidency that you would say Liberians are proud of? Some things that the incoming president will build upon? Unfortunately, there are many things that we aren't proud of. We weren't proud of the fact that, um, and you interviewed me on that, the 16 billion that got missing, um, investigation to that is still inconclusive. We weren't proud of the 25 million mop-up exercise. The investigation on that is still inc inconclusive. We're proud of the extrajudicial killing of auditors all across the country. The president leaving the country for 48 days, going to watch soccer game of his son who played on the um, the U.S. Male in, national in Qatar. Team. Yeah. So there, there's a lot that we are in proud of, um, unfortunately, as opposed to uh, matching the expectation. But you you, you you have to say that there, there's got to be some some good things that he did well, in his with, six years in power. With the exception of building um, soccer uh, sport parks. Um, along the fish market and, and West Point. But I don't think that's what the people of West Point was asking for. Okay. Um, so now that Liberians have given the mandate to Joseph Bwakai, what do they want to see from this administration? And what do you think is, uh, is coming in as top on uh, his priority list? Well, it's to end the culture of impunity. And I think, personally, as someone who worked on his campaign team um, within the media um, aspect of it, I think that's where we have to focus. Um, 
the first thing that Boyga needs to do is to restore the trust and confidence in the institution, the institutions of government. And one of the ways to do that is to ensure that the right people are appointed to anti-graft institutions. You have the Liberia Anti-Corruption Commission. You have the General Auditing Commission. You have the, um, the Internal Audit Commission as well as um, other anti-graft institutions. Make sure that people who have a strong legacy and a repetition in fighting corruption, ensuring that we have open and transparent audit across the board, right? Mm. Once you can do that, um, begin to look at um, the language of the geopolitics, right? Whoever he chooses as his foreign minister should be someone who is seasoned um, diplomat who is able to knock those and make things open, right? He already running on the back of the Irish agenda, which is the, the pillar of the economic plan that he has. Um, we need to move beyond that a little to incorporate young people into that plan and make them at the front and center of inclusive e economic um, development. Uh, what do you mean? What, what is the Irish plan? So it's agricultural roles, education, sanitation, and tourism. Okay. Yeah. So those are some of his uh, top priorities coming yes. in. Okay. Let's talk about the election itself. How was the Electoral Commission able to pull this off? And what was, what was the turnout like in, uh, in Liberia during the election? Well, we had a massive turnout uh, as compared to, you know, this is the first election where Liberians um, largely funded um, their own election process. Um, the turnover is really massive. Uh, massive. Um, we had close to over, close to three million people participating in the process, mm. as compared to twenty seven. And obviously, his uh, biggest support base is the youth, which is the largest uh, demographic in the country. What are Liberian youth looking for in the next uh, leadership? A lot of young people with our skills today are looking forward to having the opportunity on the back of government to get scholarship. A lot of young people who have graduated from universities but still no job are looking forward to the economy being open so that they are able to find jobs. Um, we have to match education and youth empowerment in a way that we speak to the core of the issues um, that universities are now producing graduates that the economy is actually asking for. So there's a whole host of young people that needs so to edu be education reform. Yeah, education is, reform. Okay. You know, should be part of, of the agenda. Okay. How do you tackle youth unemployment in Liberia? Well, first of all, you you you, you speak the language of making it easy easy to do business in Liberia. Um, open the private sector so that more bilateral partners, multinational companies that are coming to the country have it easy to do business. Stabilize the economy um, as far as you know dealing with the political as well as government issues so that people do not feel that Liberia is now safe space to vote, you know, minimize as, as, as well protests, you know, mm. which characterize the way uh, government over the last six years. And send young people to work because one of the ironies um, that we saw in the Weir government is becoming historically a problem for the country is that many young people that are graduating from high schools um, and universities are seeing the public sector as the easier way to, to fortune. Mm. We have to change that around. We have to ensure that as, as much as many investments are coming to the country, it is decentralized. Under the Madan Salif government, we saw the, the likes of Equatorial Palm Oil and other concession companies that are coming, opening into the Liwa counties and having operations there. So in that way, people who are graduating in Monrovia from universities are able to go into you know, specified, specific counties to work mm -hmm. and leave the politics in Monrovia. What is the situation like right now in, in Liberia economically? Oh, it's bad. Um, the country um, 
it's not doing so well. The government itself has a very narrow envelope in terms of revenue generation. Um, they struggle to pay wage bills um, uh, for civil servants. Um, a lot of young people are out of jobs. And there's hopelessness across the country. Mm. And I think that's one of the situations we have to revive. What is the thing that surprised you about this election? Aside from the concession of uh, President Weir to his opponent, uh, what are some of the things that really surprised you about Liberians in this election? Well, I feel that Liberians stood up. They exercised Article 1 of their constitution that says all power is inherent in the people. That when the people We the gave, people. Yeah, we the people. Yeah. And that when the people give the mandate, you don't take it for granted, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's been historically said that it's difficult, and all across Africa and in the region, that it's difficult for an incumbent to lose election in Africa. I think um, the election of Joseph Baca already demystified that myth that it is possible that Liberia can be a shining example of democracy once more in, in the region. Okay, so six years from now, what kind of conversations are we going to be having? Well, we'll be discussing the social story of this new administration. Yeah. Um, I think Waka is going to perform, he's going to do well. He's been in the public service. Um, more so, he's been at the table where major decisions were made um, owing to the fact that he was vice president to Madame Salif. Mm. He saw some of the mistakes. And he's ready to right the wrongs. Okay. Now, obviously, he's uh, going to be leading a government of mostly young people. Um, he has that issue of age, you know, on his shoulders, like here in the U.S. and other places where they say, you know, the leadership does not really reflect the demographic of the, of the country. Mm -hmm. um, how much of, uh, I guess, the people around him that he has surrounded himself with reflect uh, the demographics of, uh, of, of the constituency of the people that he is going to represent? Well, um, I think... Oh, oh how in, well does he know the issues? No, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> he's very, he very, he's very open of the issue. Um, he needs no... I mean, for most of the campaign, he didn't know um, expert um, rehearsal, okay? So he's, um, it, it comes natural for him to discuss the issues of Liberia. Um, the issue of Liberia is no different from what we've had over the last decade. It's, the difference is that it has been compounding over time. So he understands the issue. But as far as the demographic in terms of um, the people he's going to surround himself, a reflection of that is from the campaign. Um, we, we formed what we call the United Party Alliance, and that alliance um, took into consideration people from different segments of the society. Um, he's a law, he's a, you know, he's a strong believer of right. women. Mm. In fact, the national campaign um, chairperson was a woman who was Senator Naomi Kanga Lawrence. Um, he's a strong believer of the young people. A lot of us, you know, um, play a major role in, in the campaign in ensuring um, not just young people in general, but first-time voters who were the major target of, of, the, of this process um, were participating in the process in an um, unprecedented minor. He ran on the mantra of think Liberia, love Liberia, and together we can build Liberia. Lara Nyonto, thank you so much for coming all the way. Such a pleasure to see you again after a long time. So and congratulations to you and, uh, and your team for actually mounting a, a winning election campaign. Thank you so much. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, starting a business is not always an easy decision, especially if it involves leaving your lucrative job and creating a new technology for an emerging market. 
But all of that did not stop Henry Nyakarundi, a tech entrepreneur who moved back to Rwanda after years of living in Atlanta, Georgia. He tells me that unlike tech ecosystems in developed countries, African startups face their own unique challenges that require a knowledge of the local political, economic, and cultural environment. Henry, what, what motivated you to, do, to, to make that move? Yeah, first, thanks for having me. I mean, I, I made that move. So I made the decision in, in 2009. Uh, I used to go home in Burundi, Rwanda, on vacation, see family, how they're doing and all that. And I started seeing the change, especially in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2008, that's when the crisis, the financial crisis happened. I was in real estate back then and trucking. And I was like, man, this, this is not looking good. But back home, things were changing, moving forward. And in 09, I made the decision. I've always been the type of guy, I either do it or I don't do it. Mm-hmm. But it took me four years from the time I made the decision to really leave the country. 2013, I packed up my bag, bought a one-way ticket, and I was out of here. Wow. <laughs> and did you know what you wanted to do when you went? Did yeah, you yeah, so idea? I had the idea. Yeah. So the idea came in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then it Instead took of me uh, it slowly, absolutely slowly. four years. I had to invest to develop the prototype. I wanted to go there with an existing product. Um, I talk, to, talk to us about that product. You actually did a kind of a groundbreaking product for the yeah, African it was, market. It was back then. It still is. I mean, we, we, we won a lot of awards with that product. So we developed a, a at that time, it was a solar kiosk, a mobile solar kiosk for phone charging. That was the initial idea. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a small uh, kiosk on wheel where you can charge up to thirty phones at one time. Wow! Well, you know, back then there was no smartphone. I'm talking about t- 2009, eight, nine. There was no smartphone. Energy was a big problem. But feature phone was coming in. Mm-hmm. People, were, you know, were having phone, but charging was a big problem. So I saw that, and the idea came from uh, me traveling at the airport, seeing where you can, especially in Europe, they have small kiosk to plug in your phone. Mm. I was like, how can I bring this in the, in the low-income communities and rural areas? So that was the initial idea. And, and first, I did research. I was Initially, I was trying to buy a solution just to bring it. Couldn't find anything. So I was like, how hard can it be? There was nothing be? on the market. There was nothing on the market, whether it's in Asia, anywhere. Uh, so I was like, how, how hard can this be, man? Mm-hmm. So I started sketching myself. Conceptualizing. Then, yeah, yeah just what it would look like. Yeah. Uh, just do, and then I found a designer in California. They did a, a, a better sketching mm-hmm. of the prototype. And I found an engineer in Poland who did the prototype uh, and then shipped the prototype to Rwanda. And that was, it took four years to, to develop wow. the prototype. And when he sent it to me, I was out of here. Four years seems like, you know, in hindsight, it doesn't seem like a long time, but it is in the real time, four years, you can have an That's idea. Crazy. And usually the thing that throws us off, because we, we, when most entrepreneurs, they want to start coming and start working right away, Absolutely. you know, making a profit. But you had the dream that this was going to work. Yeah, what? I mean, it was, um, I didn't, you, you never really know if it's going to work. Right. But I knew I had that. You I had would, something. You knew I, you had something. I follow my heart yeah. in everything I do. And that was something that was speaking to me. So I just went and did it, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I'm not going to lie. Looking back now, hardware is no joke, man. <laughs> Four years of... Because I was spending my own money yeah. in the beginning, right? So I, I, I was spending and then you always have another voice that creates doubts, you yeah. know. 
Thank God I didn't listen. You're like, am I on the right path? Should I be doing something else? With that money. (laughs) (laughs) Buy property or something. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) It's those those low-hanging fruit type ideas. You're like, I have the cash. Maybe I should invest in this. All right, so how did, you know, so finally four years you launched. How was the uptake in the market that uh, you launched in? So the uptake was, um, I'm not going to say it was quick, because, you know, when you, especially in Africa, when you launch a new product, you have to educate the customer. I remember when we launched it, the first place we launched was in Nyabugogo Marketplace. People thought it was a fridge. People didn't know what it was. Describe Nyabugogo for a listener. I know what you're talking about. It's uh, the largest uh, uh, market uh, in Kigali. Open air market. Open air market, where it has changed a lot. Because now there's no longer open open air. A little more infrastructure. Rwanda has stopped all that. But back then, it was really straight up open air Mm. market with you know, telecom agents. It was a, it was the most dynamic market. I, in I remember it. I remember Straight that up. market from back in the nineties. Man, yeah. trap, bus stops. Yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. mixture of bus stops, agents, food market. I mean, every name it. It was, it was. So I, you I love you, it. You come in all the way from Atlanta with your product manufactured and what? prototyped in in Poland or Spain, wherever it was. We're not in Rwanda. Yeah, we know. <laughs> With zero language skills. <laughs> I mean, it takes some sort of craziness to actually get on this, to embark oh, on a journey of entrepreneurship. Absolutely. <laughs> it does, man. I mean, my fam, my mom thought I was crazy. Yeah. My sister was, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, it, it was crazy. And, and but, I, you know, it's, 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 all, it's always that, that story where you, you always feel like if you don't do it, you might regret it in the long run. So mm. that, that's always been kind of my model. And um, you, I knew there was a need uh, somehow, but I just didn't know it, that product. And I found out later, the initial idea was, was not going to work. That's how I found out. Mm. You know, and I had to pivot and change. But that came, that, that's, that's the journey of all entrepreneurs. Absolutely. You know, so so. Are you, looking back, in hindsight, are you happy that you made that leap of faith? Listen, it's the best decision I ever made in my life. Uh, not just on a professional level, on a personal level also. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of advice would you give to, say, a person in the diaspora here who's looking to Africa and looking at everybody moving back, starting businesses, doing really well, but they're kind of worried about those early steps, the four years of you know, in, you know, putting money in what could be a haul? First of all, you got, you got to have a, at least a basic idea of what you want to do. If you're going because somebody else went home, that's, that's not the right strategy. Uh, but if you're truly passionate about doing something in Africa, do it, man. You know, you, life does not give you a lot of chances to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Especially as you get older, it becomes more and more difficult. Um, but don't have high expectation. Understand that there's going to be challenges this possibility of some failure, but it's okay. I mean, we came to America not knowing anything, but we were excited about coming. I remember we were excited. We didn't think about the, the, the challenges and all because that was, and it still was the unknown. Absolutely. Some of us, I remember, I didn't even speak English when I get when I got here, mm. but I was so excited, you know. So you like take that type of attitude, the exactly, same attitude. Exactly. Mm. Why are you so scared? And your home, this is your home. Mm. But when we came here, you, you thought, this is it. You made it. <laughs> uh, so you know, what happened to that business, the, the first business you started with? Is, is this a business you're still running? Did you start other businesses? No. Any, so, yeah. Launch any new products on the market? Exactly. So 
we sold that technology about uh, 18 months ago, um, the kiosk technology. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, so I started the, this kiosk business in 2013. In the meantime, this kiosk evolved to a smart system where we, we have Wi-Fi solution on the kiosk plus phone charging and all that. But about close to two years ago, we sold the kiosk division and kept the Wi-Fi technology. Mm -hmm. um, and we expanded on it um, to now do what we're doing now, which is... Uh, which is Arred right now. It's still Arred. Mm -hmm. So we didn't sell the company. We sold the technology, gotcha. right? So we kept the company. I didn't want to start a new company, number one. And number two, it was part of the same you know, vision of, of bridging the digital and energy gap. But now we don't no longer doing the energy side. We're just doing the... We, we've pivoted because now the market has changed. Even though renewable energy is still a big market, but my interest kind of changed. I'm not going to lie to you. After 10 years, I felt like I was good with the kiosk business. We had an opportunity to sell, and I wanted to focus on the connectivity side. We're chatting with Rwandan American tech entrepreneur Henry Nyakarundi. Henry moved back to Rwanda after years of living in Atlanta, Georgia. He created a successful business expanding to over four African markets. So what would you say are some of the, you know, again, in terms of advising uh, somebody in the diaspora about returning home and starting businesses, what are some of the low-hanging fruit type of ideas that I don't want to spend four years, I don't have the capital to spend four years developing my idea or even, you know, introducing a product on the market. What are some of the things that are, you know, that I can get into? Um, I highly recommend for them to look at, for a company they can invest in. It's a An lot existing of, company. Yeah, existing mm -hmm. company that doing business in Africa. They can invest in. They can also even, there's companies now and before and later that they're willing to give you equity if you're going to put some time. I, I know in every company I always look for uh, um, board members or, or uh, advisor. We, we, we exchange share for their, their knowledge and their skill sets, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you don't necessarily have to go there and do your thing. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. I always tell people all the time, if, if you're not a... Uh, if you don't develop your problem-solving skills, because entrepreneur is about solving problems every day. That's all you do. Mm -hmm. Whether it's people problem, employee problem, mm -hmm. customer problem, money whatever. Problems. It's problem. Yeah. Money problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you do. Yeah. It's solving problems. If that's not your cup of tea, I know a lot of people, entrepreneurship shouldn't, they want a paycheck. They want relaxation. My sister is one of them. Yeah. You know, don't talk to her about entrepreneurship. There's, you crazy, you know, like fluctuate. So, so there's other areas that you can do and be part of a journey of somebody else. You know, mm -hmm. let, if you invest, let the entrepreneur do the do homework, work, yes. and you invest. And you rip the you benefits. Exactly, yeah. you participate. You know, that mindset we're not there yet in Africa, unfortunately. We think I gotta do it myself. No, there's a lot of talent in entrepreneurship in Africa. Mm -hmm. They just need some capital. They just need some skill set, knowledge especially in, in high-tech and all those things. Um, so th those are the area I, I would say, or provide some of your services uh, uh, if you're technical, you know, in exchange of, uh, of salary or equity. Mm. There's a lot of areas you can do. What are some of the big mistakes that we make in terms of thinking about Africa, African technology, and, you know, creating, you know, technology to, to solve solutions on the African continent? For me, the biggest mistake is leave the American mindset. If you've been in America or anywhere else, 
for a long period of time, you think the American way, at least for me, will work in Africa. Yeah. It does not work in Africa. I'll give you guys a quick story. So I remember, uh, you know, Rwanda is very well structured and all that. So I need a license to operate in Yamukoko. So I'm going to the mayor's office every day. Every day I'm at the mayor's office. Where's my life? Finally, the vice mayor tells me, listen, you need to relax. This is Rwanda. Take your time. <laughs> There's a pace that you need to respect. <laughs> and I remember sitting, listening to this guy. <laughs> You're like, I don't have time. <laughs> I'm living on my business. <laughs> and then that's when I realized things don't work like in America. Yeah. You know, being aggressive actually can work against, against you. Against you, yes. You know? Whereas here, it can work for you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, fast, fast, yeah. da, da, da. Aggressive. So understand the culture. Exactly. Yeah. Adapt to the environment, yeah. you know? Um, use the different there's a requ- what is required of it is a different type of skill set so people skill sets if you want something to be done you need to get somebody who knows mm-hmm. the right people mm-hmm. to talk the to network. them the uh-huh. the soft skills exactly so it's a different ecosystem man. Yeah. I got humble real quick man. <laughs> <laughs> I got humble real quick you know like, yo, it can be humbling the yo, journey can be humbling you're home now you know you're not American now you're home <laughs> Welcome home. Exactly. Thank you, you know? very much, Henry, for sharing your experiences. <laughs> for sure, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That was Henry Nyakarundi, a tech entrepreneur from Rwanda. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to all of you for joining us. Remember to connect with us on our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, on Instagram, and on YouTube, where you can watch our videos. Don't forget to like to share, and to subscribe. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington.